loud. Okay, welcome everybody. Um, I believe it's recording, right? I think so. There we go. Okay, beauty. Ah, oh, yes, I do. One day I'll, I'll know that it's recording on my own. Um, yes. Okay. So welcome everybody. Thank you for for joining uh, chapter seven of uh, Kohelet. Really, I think this is one of my favorite chapters. My friend uh, Albert Mizrahi says the same thing. It's really a good chapter. Um, super, super interesting. Um, so let's dig in. Let's let's. Uh, does anybody remember where we left off in chapter six? We we said, uh, who knows really what's best for men to do in life because nobody knows the future, and if nobody knows the future, nobody could possibly give advice to to somebody else regarding what's the best course of action. So that's an interesting perspective, and we'll see where that catapults Kohelet this week in chapter seven. Um, we really ended off on a very, uh, I think, a transcendent note last time. Last class, I think, was probably one of my highlights. And Ronnie, I know you listened to the recording. Of course, Ali, you were here, and, uh, and you guys were all here from Zoom. Um, welcome, everybody, by the way. Welcome, Dr. Nasser, Albert, and Albert. Always a pleasure. I'm, I look forward to this all week, so I'm uh, super excited. Um, so in this chapter, in Chapter 7, we're going to see a few different um, you know, streams of consciousness from Kohelet, and they're, in my opinion, very profound. Oh, sure, sorry, you got to grab a Tanakh from over there. Exactly. So chapter 7 of Kohelet, um, it's in the Kitubim section of the Tanakh, right? So in this passage, we're going to see a lot of the kind of uh, phraseology from Kohelet, better X than Y. It's better to have this rather than that. And by the way, it's a very long chapter, so we'll try to finish it uh, if you guys are down to, to stay. Really no pressure. Um, but the real thing here that we're noticing um, is that Kohelet has this very deep mistrust about human knowledge that we already have encountered before. Um, and, you know, it's possible that he made these, these adages himself. It's possible that he found them from someone else and, and kind of finagled them to his liking. Um, but really, for the most part, first of all, the thing that he wants us to notice is a somber awareness of death, of our own mortality. And we've seen this earlier on, right in chapter five. Uh, it's interesting, though, in chapter five, what did he say? It's best to distract yourself from thoughts of death by engaging in pleasure, by diving and delving into pleasure. You could forget all about your worries and all about death. So he thinks, however, here that it's wise to take death to heart. So it's a very strange thing. Like, which, which is it? Do you want me to, you know, think about death? Do you, not me, do you want me to distract myself from death? What, what, which, what is the proper course of action? Kohelet? And he, that's the thing about this, is that we're, we're not going to attempt to make Kohelet, uh, you know, completely resolve itself internally, because we're not consistent as, as human beings. We've mentioned this point before, when you're thinking, especially in, in, uh, on these topics, it's a different feeling at different times. Hey, right? You feel differently at different times. Hey, good to see you. Right? So, so really what he's saying is that we should be aware of our mortality in this chapter, at least. And he's going to talk a little, a little bit about sobriety. So this is just an introduction. Um, but I'll just read it. If you guys are just walked in, the main point uh, that we're going to say is that even though Kohelet is going to talk about things in a very different way 
that he's talked about the exact same concepts before, that doesn't mean that we need to worry because human beings are like that. And we feel different ways at different times about certain truths. And it's a very honest thing to be able to, to acknowledge the different ways and the different perspectives that we have throughout our lives, throughout our days even. All right, so we're on chapter seven. Let's dig in. Tov shem, mishem and tov. Right, you guys can see my screen, I hope. Ve'yom hamavet, miyom hevaledo. A good name is better than fragrant oil and the day of death than the day of birth, right? We all know this pasuk from uh, some of our tefillot, right? And uh, it's quoted in the Mishnah that we read. So this is actually a proverb that could hold multiple meanings, right? So the plain sense is that a reputation is better than some elegant funerary preparation, right? Because shaman would be that the shaman that they would specifically use in somebody's funeral, right? So more important than the having a big procession at your funeral and smelling good as a dead corpse, more important than that really is having a good reputation, right? Which is a very somber, but important and touching message. You know that, that it's not about uh, the kavod that you're going to get necessarily. It's about the honesty and the integrity of your reputation. All right. But another interpretation could be that a good reputation is better than being anointed with any fragrant oils, even while you're alive, right? So even if you have some kind of luxury in your life, it's not worth as much as having a good reputation, being at peace with those around you. So however you want to, you know, interpret it is fine. Um, but amazingly, I love this point, is that the words themselves glide like oil. What does he mean? Tov shem, mishem, and tov, right? It's, it's kind of like, Chiastic almost, tov and tov and shem and shem and shemen, right? You see shem inside of shemen. So it's a very brilliant thing that he did there. Um, it's actually a variant, it seems, from, from Mishle, where he says, shem is preferable to great wealth and grace better than silver and gold. So it's a very common proverb that they would have in the ancient world. Um, and Rashbam says very interestingly that oil is specifically here the oil of the balsam tree whose fragrance like a reputation, spreads about. So, so it's just even brilliant. Why would he compare it to shaman? Because shaman is something perfume. You walk in the perfume, so you smell it all over the place. Same thing with your reputation. You know, be careful and, you know, don't say anything or do anything that's going to spread like wildfire about your reputation because if that happens, it's not going to turn out too well for you. Um, and it's, it's similar to the diffusion of the smell of that fragrance. So that's just a, a little bit of food for thought about that pasuk. Any questions or comments so far? Okay. Well, you didn't address the second half. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, but you know, what do you think it means, Doc? Uh, I think it means that the, the day of your death, uh, you've actualized your full potential, hopefully, at that point, and you could be judged on, on what you've accomplished, whereas the day of birth, although you know, is, is great, but you've, you've done nothing at that point. Yes, and the, the commentators agree with you, it seems, because your, your reputation, which is in the first part of the Pasuk, is not secure until the day of your death, right? So it's better to have everything already sealed away. You didn't screw up too majorly, you're dead. You, can't, you don't have any more lifetime to do any more bad things. So that seems one possibility. Also, it could, could be that he's praising death because it's releasing mortals from the heavy awareness of injustice. So that would be more in line with other chapters. But I think Dr. Nasser, like you're saying, that's more Peshat. Um, so let's see how this plays into the next Pesukim. 
טוב ללכת אל בית אבל מלכת אל בית משתה, באשר הוא סוף כל האדם והחי ייתן אל ליבו. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for that is the end of every man, and a living one should take it to heart. What do you guys think of that, Basu? He's happy and they're excited that this person lives. I'm not going to, they're mourning, actually, so they're not really being happy about this, but um, he accomplished, he went through his life. Well, the, when you go... And when you go to a house of uh, mourning, you learn what the meaning of life is. You learn, um, you know, about uh, what what this person meant to his family and his friends. So you get it's a good education in in how you should live your life. I mean, that's that's the the concept. Um, right, that's the end of every man. Meaning, you're looking at your own mortality. And you know, when we look at our mortality, then we start thinking about. What what uh, what are we and what are, what are we going to become and what's it going to be when we pass away? So it actually is very helpful. Whereas, you know, if you're just partying, you're really not thinking about about anything in particular. Yes. Yeah, you're feasting. You're just like going about the day and like, hey, you know, this is good that we're here. We're happy. And you're lost basically in the in whatever's going on. You're not mindful of what is really the most important thing in life. And I love Rabbi Salavechik's thing about Adam one, Adam two. And David Brooks, wow, Baruch Haba, David Brooks talks about the idea of, uh, of you know, having resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are the things that you could write down on your resume uh, and look how great I am versus eulogy virtues, which we've forgotten in modern society, are things that you want to be remembered by. Things that, you know, like integrity and honesty and making time for family. And that's not going to go on your resume, but it's going to be on, in your eulogy. Um, and that's what, you know, going to a house of mourning will will force you to be cognizant of. And that's a very, you know, beautiful thing uh, when you think about it. But the real thing I want to draw your attention to here is, is the irony. There's a tremendous irony in this pasuk. Does anybody know what it, what I'm, why I'm thinking that? What, is, what has he been uh, advocating for this whole book? He's been advocating for Mishnah. He says the only thing worthwhile. He's 180 degrees uh, backwards. He's completely yep. changed his tune. Yep. He's, he's, uh, he's flip-flopping, right? Everyone loves oh, flip-flopping. That's the thing. Leave room for the person to flip-flop as a human being. Everyone flip-flops. He's not a politician. He doesn't have to be. He's a king, according to the, to the story. But the point is, we should understand that this is the way that real human problems are. This is the way that real humans approach the real world, is that we feel differently about different things at different times. So let's acknowledge now what his stream of consciousness is, which is he's somberly noting the, important, the importance of acknowledging death. But the question I have is, you know, what caused him to change? I mean, this is a change. This isn't just a, and also it's the end of the book, I'm assuming. So it's, I think it's more like conclusion. So he started off in one direction and, and now he's going to the direction that we would kind of like him to go to. I mean, none of us thinks that yeah. eating, drinking, and being merry is the point of life uh, or I don't think so, um, but where you know we're we're missing the uh, the catharsis, right? Where where like where did he change? What what happened? You know? Yeah, and we don't even really know if he's fully changed. And I guess we have to stay tuned till the end to see what he, what he concludes or what he goes through. You know? Yeah, Mar. Sorry, you I was going to react. Reaction formation. So basically, it's a psychological phenomenon. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So people who uh, go to one extreme, they flip to the other extreme to kind of balance it out. 
So for example, like you might see someone wake up really hungover and they're feeling terrible about themselves. And so they'll go and like do extra mitzvot that day or go early to meet uh-huh. and make sure they wrap to, to feel really good and they're extra perfect, but those things kind of never last. Yeah. And and but they'll keep going from side to side and you'll be like, what's wrong? With and then you go to one extreme, but then you end up going back into the middle. Which is what Hopefully. Yeah, yeah you, you hope so. Yeah. You want to go in the middle. Or you just keep going. Or, or you keep <laughs> going into extremes. And it could be that same hunger and you're also driving in both directions. Yes. Just an extreme person who wants a lot of everything. Absolutely. That's definitely not a healthy way of living. You, know, you got to find that golden mean. 100%. Or find something healthy to be extreme. Yes, I agree. <laughs> be an extreme moderate. I like to say you should be an extreme moderate. Um, okay, great. So let's let's see what, how he develops this idea. Tov kas misehok ki panim Vexation or anger is better than revelry. For though the face be sad, the heart may be glad. So this is a strange pasuk. Um, it's, it's, there, there could be some kind of double entendre here, but first of all, it seems that on the one hand, you know, it's, it's better to have somebody angry at you because at least you know that they're genuinely angry. It seems, but you know, that's the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is they're, they're angry and they're genuinely angry. Best case scenario, they're angry and maybe they're not so angry inside. They're just showing you anger. And that's in the live, right? Of Yitav Lev, really, he's 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 not so angry at you inside, um, but on the other hand, it's possible that it's saying, um, let's see, the double entendre. I think would also be it's hard to exp- express it, but it's better to be, you know, angry because when you're angry, it's cathartic in a way for you inside. Your Lev will be more kind of at ease than if you're in revelry, right? When you're able to express and let out that anger, your lev will, will paradoxically be more tov for whatever reason, just because you're kind of letting off steam. Actually, you know, psychological research today, according to what I've read from Jonathan Hyde, is that it's not healthy to, you know, you know get yourself worked up over something or to let off steam per se. It's actually better to calm yourself down you know, psychologically and physically. Like checking in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure with the psychologist. I was, I was thinking, um, though, like, the word... Uh, we're becoming yes. trained. Um, the words hook, I think of, yeah. Not yet. The words hook, I feel like it's like a, a joke almost. So, so, like, it's not serious in the sense it's not even really how you are. Like, you're just laughing. Maybe if you, if your if your anger is with honest, you're being honest with your emotions and what's coming up. Mm. Better, and your heart's happy. Like your heart is what is what you're yes. showing what your heart's actually feeling. Yes, exactly. I think, and you know, we don't what we what we're afraid of is somebody who's a hadba pivot, hadba live. Like always says one thing but means another. Those are people you kind of have to be very careful with because you can't really trust them. Right, and it's all about actually the mindfulness of letting to come up what comes exactly. up and, and, and inviting whatever emotions, even if they're negative, hundred percent, and, and be able to express them in, in a healthy way. Exactly, you have to leave space for that. To cry, Agreed. to to be angry. Yeah, don't go anywhere. That's right. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> I don't want to meditate next to you if you do. That's <laughs> hilarious. That's great. Okay, beautiful. Um, so let's see. Lev hachamim bebet evel, velev kesilim bebet simcha. Wise men are drawn to a house of mourning, and fools to a house of merrymaking. 
right? So this is pretty similar to what we read in the uh, in verse two, right? That the, the but why now he changes it to the heart of uh, or the heart mind in a sense of the hachamim is in the house of mourning, while the heart mind of stupid people is in a partying house or house of revelry, right? So what do you what do you guys make of that? I think it's also relate them. You also like fools. No, it's saying the opposite. It's saying that the the wise men go to the mourner's house and that the fools. Right, right. Go, saying, oh, yeah, yeah. He's saying go be a funeral chase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, who yeah. wants to go to a funeral, though? We, we want to be happy. Why? I'm not drawn to a funeral. I'm drawn to, I'm drawn to celebration. That's like you said before. It's like you gain wisdom from right. going to yeah. the house of mourning. It's like you're. Learning from their life experiences and what they have and what they ended off with. Yeah. But if that's what you want to be drawn to, what are you really doing? Yeah, but exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You want you want to be drawn to um morning where you can learn from another person's life. Ultimately, I'm just like desire. You desire a celebration. You don't desire to go to a, a, a maybe he's arguing though that you don't desire celebration. It's like you know how they say like the yeser like yeah, right. So that's the fool in you. Yeah. So really, everyone wants to theoretically go to a house right. of mourning. Yeah. Like the wise man, like within them, right? Yeah. The wise man in you. But there's a fool in you too. Yeah, I think yeah. I think overarchingly he's saying that wise people see past the the superficiality of merrymaking, and they're able to see the real substance that is gained from an experience in a bet evil, and I think that's really at the heart of this. But again, it's just so perplexing because we don't expect to hear Kohelet's disapproval of feasting. In this in this work, because he recommends it all the time. Every chapter you read about how he recommends going and engaging in this stuff. So again, it's just crazy. And I love the point he makes here, Michael Fox. He says, This is an inconsistency less in Kohelet's logic than in his spirit. He feels torn inside, right? He knows that enjoyment is good, but does not seem disposed to embrace it himself. So he's telling us to go embrace it if we can. But he says basically about himself, he couldn't fully embrace it because he knew that it was empty. But he says, if you're, if you're just dumb enough to accept all of the pleasures and just delve into them, he says, then go ahead and do it. But if you're as smart as me and you can't do that, then maybe go to the, to the house of Evil and maybe, you know, see what that's all about. Because maybe, you know, for himself, he noticed that it didn't work engaging in pleasure. Right. And uh, so so too, he would rather not brood on death, but cannot help doing so. He can't help himself. So he says, if you're cursed with this wisdom, it seems, then, okay, fine, you know, go out and, uh, and explore death and be conscious of it. But if you could find a way to distract yourself with pleasure, maybe that's better. All right, and then uh, one other point is that there's a, cynical, there's a cynical voice here, too, that the wise, knowing life's futility, are melancholy while the fools have a good time. Right, so it's like it's an incredible thing that that that. You ever wish you weren't smart? <laughs> so that, that's uh, so he. It's amazing because he goes through that exact topic previously, right? Like 
he talks about wisdom and, and foolishness, both being hevel, but still he says that wisdom is better, it seems. Even if it's complete hevel, wisdom is slightly better. So it's an interesting, you know, thing to, to ponder. I found this is on Zoom, and he literally just said class now. Just really? Chapter two and talking about the, the person who knows what to do, but they're, they're purposely closing their eyes to it. Yes. You know, and you know the right thing. That's almost like Kohelet mm-hmm. right now. He knows what he, what he wants. Yes. And he knows what the right thing to do, but he's coming from this whole party mentality. Exactly. It almost takes a party or two. And this happens wow, yes. Somebody who's been there. Somebody who's been there, done only, that. Yeah. I, I think of, uh-huh. you know, all the, the wisdom that comes from people who really struggle with their lives. Wow. Fight those wars. Yes. Like I'm thinking of a guy like Alan Watts, you know, like yeah. really struggling alcoholic. Yeah. Very wise. As exactly. Well, you know. They've been through the trenches. They've been through, they that's, know. That's, they have the battle scars to prove it. Yeah. 100%. Agreed. Fantastic. And welcome, Joe Shamish. I just noticed out of the corner of my eye. Baruch Haba. Unbelievable. Oh, Joe Shama. Sorry. Joe Shama, Baruch Haba. I thought you, I thought you invited Joe Shamish, too. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Tov l'shmoa ga'arat hacham me'ish shomea shir kesilim. It's better to listen to a wise man's reproof than to listen to the praise of fools. What does that mean to you guys? Yeah, even if it's not pleasant to receive it, it's still more valuable to hear uh, wise words even if, foolish. than foolish words, no matter what they are. Exactly, 100%. That's exactly right. And uh, yeah, that's that's something to, to be aware of. So, uh, so the praise of fools basically yeah. means that you, you fooled them, right? Because that's why they're praising you. Because they're because you fooled them into thinking how, how great you are. Uh, interesting. Whereas, interesting. whereas the wise man, he, he knows he knows who you are, and you can learn from him to improve yourself. Sounds like a politician, also. Praise <laughs> of fools. I really like that. That's very. That's very. I think that's actually spot on. Doc, you got to write your own commentary at this point. <laughs> it's like uh, you have Hidushim every. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. He's so, praising you. You be careful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, haram. That was a good one. That was a great one. I, that was like alley-oop right there. Ki chekol asirim tahad hasir ken tzehoka kesil vegam zehavil. For the levity of the fool is like the crackling of nettles, which is thorns under a kettle, but that too is illusory, right? So... What does that mean? So first of all, do you guys hear the onomatopoeia here? Right, so there's a crackling sound and a, and a kind of, there's a K sound, there's the I sounds, and all that is trying to make it sound like something that's actually burning under a fire, right? Like these thorns that are burning. So thorns, unlike wood, are really not useful because they don't really produce heat when they're burned. Um, and they don't really give you any light. And that's just a, a, from a physical perspective, right? So that's that's what uh, a foolish person's words are like. They're just something that's crackling about. It's just noise. You know, you hear somebody, it's just noise. That's what he's saying about it's a pretty it's a pretty severe uh, diss on somebody. If you want to, you know, sh- shell out an insult at somebody, you could tell them they're like, kol hasidim. Um, you know, to be a creative one, they probably won't understand what you're saying. Anyway, <laughs> um, I guess that's the point. Um, <laughs> right, so 
right? For cheating may rob the wise man of reason and destroy the prudence of the cautious. What does that mean to you guys? Cheating is going to not allow the wise man to be reasonable. It kind of clouds his judgment. And, and it, Oshik is like oppression, really, technically, but also it can mean just any kind of injustice uh, and bribery, it seems. And it, and it, uh, matana, matana, receiving a gift or a bribe will destroy the prudence of one's heart mind. Yes, exactly. Destroy. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, really Arami Oved Avi. It would mean that, but this is Ibed with a Dagesh, means to destroy. Abedam is to destroy them, right in the Megillah. So, so there's this idea here that it's actually, if you know the Pasuk in Devarim, Ki Ashohadi Aver Pekhim Visalef Debresadikim, that bribery is going to blind the people who are normally wise and it's going to distort the vision of the people who are normally good with their vision. And that's basically judges. So first of all, this pasuk kind of seems a little bit out of place. We don't really know how to connect it to the verses before or after. It just seems like some general wisdom. Um, But he says here, perhaps a proverb once stood here and provided a better transition. And what would that proverb be? From Mishle, he quotes, better a little with righteousness than a large income with injustice. Right. So that's another way of, uh, of stating this, but, in, but more in terms of uh, this is better than that. So he's saying at the end of the day, don't engage in bribery because bribery is not going to produce any good results for you. Um, but he chose to say it just in terms of in, in this poetic way. Bribery is going to distort everything. It's going to confuse everybody. It's not going to allow uh, somebody to see clearly. Maybe the bribery is for people who are giving him false compliments. Interesting. They make him, ah. they're, they're bribing him with their compliments. They make him feel like he's on the right path, but they're actually cheating him. Interesting. They're not paying him with actual you know, criticism. He thinks he's on the right path. Though. Could be. Could be like that their compliments are like bribing him or flattering. I don't know why they give him compliments, though, but maybe it makes them feel good. And yeah. They feel good, then everyone thinks they're good when they're not. I have to think about that one. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. It sounds. It sounds like you could. You could be onto something there. I got. I got to put more thought into that. Wow, Can fantastic! Really. I. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? You bribe someone with compliments. I mean, I don't, I think you can, I don't know if that's what the Pesukim are saying. Oh. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't know that that's his intent here, but it could very well be if, if that's the flow. I don't have any better solution to the flow of it, you know? So, but that's, let's see, maybe we could see in the next, the, really the next Pesukim, the next group of Pesukim is going to be the next section. So does anybody have any comments or questions about this one so far? All right. So we we're basically just discussing. So yeah. I should go visit a mourner's house. Or is, he, is there some kind of lesson? I think he's saying that it doesn't matter what you do, but if you're the type of person that visits mourners' houses, you'll probably be better off, at least according to this context, in terms of the wisdom that you gain than if you would be partying all day. Did he say last week that the ultimate happiness is pleasure? And he said the opposite last week. And that's why we're so perplexed. But at the same time, he's not a consistent character, and none of us are. So he is flip-flopping. But that's okay. Exactly. That's a real person, you know. So let's let's delve into the next uh, thing. That's the next three pesukim 
is going to be the next section. Um, so now we're going to talk about the sensible and patient spirit. So what is that like? Who is a person that's very calm and uh, patient? So let's see what he says here. Um, he, the beautiful thing here is something that reminded me of, you know, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. The only thing you could control is your attitude, your response towards some situation or whatever life's giving you. You can't control how things play out for you. You can only control your response to it. Um, and, and part of the a cornerstone of that is patience, is the ability to allow things to run their course. So let's see how he expresses that. Tov ahariteavar mereshito. Tov erech ruach megebah ruach. The end of a matter is better than the beginning of it. Better a patient spirit than a haughty spirit. Right? So what does that remind you of? It actually sounds a lot like tov shem ishem and tov. Right, the end of the thing, the death is better than the day of birth. Right, so he's saying here, only when a series of events reaches its conclusion can we know the outcome. That's the point that Dr. Nasser was making earlier about a person's death day, is that only when the story is over can we finally look back and say, okay, everything turned out fine. But until that date, we don't quite know. Good to have a good April. <laughs> there you go. He's talking about baseball. <laughs> And as we all know, the Mets do well in April, but the Yankees do well in October when it actually counts. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the point. I love you, man. I love you. Let's <laughs> go. We have to text him later. Um, <laughs> so the Bimeir had a brilliant uh, uh, point here also. The Bimeir said that an investment in a stock of goods may lose money at first, but finally, in the end, it earns a profit. So all those people that were shorting that, that GameStop stock, Right, I guess at a certain point, if they would have taken out their money too early, they would have made a lot more if they waited till a little bit then. But I guess not too long. So you never quite know how the story is going to play out. It's it's a little bit. It's almost like life is like gambling in a way. I love the Yeah, like the weather is kind of like that. Like if you let the rain like dictate how you're going to look. Yes. Absolutely. And you're just a victim to the rain. You always got to respond. You're gambling with your emotions. Yes. If someone makes you angry. You're just being angry based off of them. Like they can always make you angry. Then they're yeah. controlling you. You're not controlling yeah. yourself. Yeah, they own real estate in your mind. Right. And exactly. And I love this too. He says, so we're going to get more to that point in the next two pesukim. But one more thing about this, or two more things, is that you also. Why does it say davar? Right. Aharit. Or what does it say exactly? Aharit davar. The end of a davar. So davar could be a thing, or it could be like spoken word. So he says, according to Rashbam, you should listen, listen patiently to others until they have said their say. So wait till they finish saying what they're saying, because only then can you know what they're actually saying. People so often are cutting each other off in conversation and they're misunderstanding each other, speaking past each other because they don't quite know what they're each saying because neither of them listen. So it's the importance of listening more than anything that I think is, uh, is really the, the key here. And then one last point before we go on is that a patient spirit and a haughty spirit, what does that mean? In a world when one cannot predict or control the outcome of events, this is exactly like you're saying, the best stance is patience and resignation, right? So you don't know what's going to be. The best thing you can do is be sturdy and peaceful inside and allow whatever stormy winds to happen outside. Like you whatever were saying, anger comes up. Whatever anger is coming your way. 100%. Well, I think also it's like, don't, don't rush in to make judgments. Why don't you wait a little while, get all the information 
and then you know think about it and then and then act later absolutely I mean, this is obviously basic normal life advice this is not a douche I mean, we hear this all the time this is what uh, anyone would tell you 100 percent. this is something that that's it's it's basic but it's i think yeah definitely important to it's remind ourselves done. yeah exactly it's something easy to, to say um but also, yeah so maybe we should do things with the end in mind like let's say you're getting you, you are doing me stay all day like it might be fun now but mm-hmm. if you actually thought about how you feel tomorrow exactly it's overall not beneficial 100 percent. have to take into account a high devil what's good today and what's good wow tomorrow. beautiful that, that's 100 kind of that's like having that mentality of what's good tomorrow yeah i'm not saying what heaven i'm saying no, no, no. always thinking about tomorrow 100 percent. i think that's that's the shabbat the beauty of shabbat exactly it forces you to think about the totality of things and how they end Funny Shabbat, it's the opposite. It's hard to think about today. Really? Well, on Shabbat. On Shabbat. <laughs> but it's the end of all the processes. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, That's gotcha, what I'm saying. Gotcha, it's the end of. But you're right. You have to yeah. be living in the now, enjoying what you did. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, so let's see the next two Pesukim I think should shed more light. Don't let your spirit be quickly vexed, for vexation abides in the breast of fools. All right, so. This is very similar to another quote that we know, right? don't be so easy to anger. Um, and like Dr. Nasser was saying, you know. Uh, Did he just say get angry? <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, ah. So that, that was the next thing I was about to say. It doesn't have to contradict verse three because he's not uh, condemning anger per se specifically. He's, he's condemning hasty responses that come off as anger, right? So that's hence the previous pasuk, which is all about patience. You have to wait. So instead of rapidly responding with your anger, anger is okay. We all have anger, but don't be easily angered. If you're too easily angered, it's a problem. Anger in general is fine. But if it comes so quickly because you didn't really hear the guy's point, then it's a problem. So very good, uh, you know, realization right there by you guys that you noticed the contradiction. It means you're paying attention, which is good. <laughs> right. Um, so let's see the last pasuk in this section. Al tomar mehaya Don't say how has it happened that former times were better than these, for it is not wise of you to ask that question. What the heck does that mean, right? Um, some you know, I know what it people, means, but it's almost from where to where. <laughs> you know, yeah, like what does it have to do? <laughs> the transition exactly. is very abrupt. He's saying, Why look at the past when that already happened? Nothing's going to change. Look at the look ahead. Good. So, a lot of people, you know, they repudiate, they they criticize that, you know, uh, that, that nostalgia exactly the sentimental preference for the uh, the good old days. There never were good old days, you might say as if they were better than the present, right? We have this myth that, oh, the things, the way things used to be back in my day, it was never perfect. You know, we always have black hat, white hat, there's such a rift in the community. Throughout the history of human existence, there have been people that are more right, right wing and more people that are more left wing. It's not a new thing that there's different opinions. Okay, maybe it's a little bit more of a rift, but either way, you know. Yeah, exactly. The first two brothers murdered each other, exactly. <laughs> And they, they clearly were at odds. There was no harmony at that point, was it? Exactly. Um, and amazingly, you know, it reminds us of Eob's complaints, right? That he's he's expressing his his grief at the downturn of one's fortunes. Um, so basically, 
to sum all of this up, all he's trying to say, it seems, is just take things as they come. Don't tell life how to happen to you. Stop going into it with these huge expectations of what must happen and when. Instead, take things as they come and respond in turn. Um, and I think that's part of why he's saying this last pasuk, right? He's just saying it doesn't, it's not even about um, the, the good old days. Maybe there were good old days. He's not repudiating the fact. Maybe there were good old days, but it's best not to raise the issue. It's, it, don't waste your time comparing past and present, even if the past was better. Because again, what are you doing? You're going into life with expectations. You're telling life how to happen to you. Who the heck are you? You're a limited human. It's not fun to hear this. Nobody wants to hear this. Everyone wants life to play out how they want it to play out. But at the end of the day, this is a, a fact. You have to accept the way that life plays out for you and be like a bamboo tree. I know one of the Eastern uh, philosophers would say, you know, you know, don't be so easily broken by the wind. Don't be like an oak tree that could get knocked over. Be like the bamboo that's easily swaying with the wind and then goes back to its middle position, right? And if you're flexible like that, nothing in life can get you down because you're built flexibly. You can stand, withstand anything. But if you're going into life and saying, I know how things are supposed to be and I'm, my jiddo told me that things were this way and they have to be this way. You're not you're gonna break like the oak tree, right? Stop asking these questions. You're not gonna lead you to somewhere that you want to be, right? Well, it's funny you said that it's out of nowhere, but it kind of connects to nine and or sorry, eight and nine in a way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You can see someone on this whole journey, like they're getting upset of where they're at. Exactly. They're, they're in the beginning of something that's terrible, and they're not thinking. It's it's almost the opposite of, of eight because it's saying. Don't look to the past. The guy in eight who, who he's advising is stuck in the now. He's saying, damn it, the past was better. Why does it suck right now? Yeah. And then he's 100%. in nine and he's getting very angry about it. And then yeah. in ten, it's like, don't answer the question. And don't, don't expect <laughs> certain things based on this. Exactly. Just you, you keep quiet. Exactly. You can see his, his frustration. Be Duke. So is it saying that to prevent you from being angry? But before it said that you should be angry. Good. So I think it's saying when somebody else gives you anger, don't necessarily feel sad about that because maybe they're actually happy inside. Or if you're going to express your own anger, it makes, it makes you feel better. But with, with the anger thing, I don't think he's criticizing anger as a general point here. He's really criticizing a person who is very quick to anger, somebody who doesn't know how to hear someone else's point and then decide how they're going to respond. They just hear three words and then go off. That's not the kind of anger that we should allow. Right. And, and that's too, it's like, it's like really a quick type of anger. Um, well, even in, in the 13 attributes of mercy, we say, uh, you know, he's angry, but he's slow to it. Slow to it. Exactly. Ah, oh, ah, oh, exactly. Beautiful. It's the opposite it's of this guy. Anger is mercy. If we weren't angry at ourselves, then we would never do anything. We'd never get ourselves out of rut. Anger is a, is a way of setting a boundary, right? It's not a, it, there's so many important things I have to say about this topic, but in terms of being a master storyteller, the way you tell the story of your own life, you could even say, oh, I'm so angry about this. It's so terrible that I'm angry. And you, you just beat yourself up or you could paint it in a positive. I look how much self-care I have. Look how strong my boundaries are. I won't let somebody else step on my toes. 
and my anger is reaffirming my boundary. So that is a much healthier way of telling the story. And it's always our choice to tell the story that way rather than telling it in a tragic way or in uh, a self-deprecating. Right? I think that's a beautiful, beautiful way of, uh, of living life. You know, I prefer it, certainly. Not everybody does, apparently. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, is, it is very hard. But you know, once you, it's like a muscle. The more times you do it, the easier it gets and the stronger you become. I, th- I think anger, you know, the response of anger or responding in anger is almost always not helpful. You almost always regret it. You know, 99% of the time, if you respond in anger, you're going to regret it, or at least it's my personal experience as well. Uh, but then on the other hand, yes, there are some intelligent ways to use anger uh, to admonish or to communicate something more forcefully, but even then you have to be very, very careful because you could, you could overstep, you could, you could take it too far. Um, so, so using anger, you know, only the wise can use it well, I guess. You know, you really have to think about it and understand how it's going to, the effect that it's going to have on, on the people that you're, you're aiming it at. 100%. I think Harambam says that you should show anger when it's, you know, like let's say your son does something terrible you should show anger to him. You don't have to feel that anger inside, but you should show anger to, you know, kind of encourage a certain type of behavior. If your son almost got hit by a car because he ran outside, you don't have to lose it inside. You could stay calm, but express a lot of anger at your son so that he knows never to run in front of a moving truck again. Uh, yeah, but the anger, I think, will really impress upon it, him and this idea, and I think it's warranted. Controlling. Right, so it's a form of communication. Form of communication. In that situation. Yes, exactly. And and all, even just noticing that feeling inside of you is a protective energy, and that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no wrong emotions. It's really just about the way that you perceive them and the way you tell the story next. And react. And react. Exactly. It's all about how you react. So I once had somebody, you know, yelling at me, and I said, "Bro." stop yelling at me like i don't want to be spoken to in this way <laughs> and he said you know don't tell me not to express my anger and i said i'm not telling you not to express your anger you can express it you know in a, in a certain way you could I, you can feel however much you want to but the way that you express it needs to be in line with respecting my rights you know you can't just yell at me because you feel the anger the anger is your responsibility and if you want to communicate something to me, do it respectfully. Don't just, you know, don't accuse me of not giving you the, the, the freedom of emotions. You have as much freedom to experience the emotion as you want. But it's about the way you respond to it that really counts. It's funny you brought up that example. In that yeah. example, you, in a way, almost let him control you. His anger was attacking you. Yeah. So you were like letting that control you. I was I was well, using I, I was using my anger to set a boundary. Exactly. It didn't control me. It was it was Almost a healthy it was a healthy statement. I don't think it was. No. We both know too much about this topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not about me and Mo, by the way. It's somebody else. Um, <laughs> right. So now we're going to talk about the advantage of wisdom. Why is wisdom these these really next two pesukim? Why is it better? Well, we know previously we've seen that uh, Kohelet is not really pro-wisdom that much, even though he seems to be. So it's all folly in his eyes. But at the end of the day, 
there seems to be some kind of advantage of wisdom. So let's see what he says. Wisdom is as good as a patrimony or a nahala or an inheritance that you pass on. And even better for those who behold the sun. Right? So it seems like he's saying there has to be some kind of tangible thing to, to grasp onto with this wisdom. You need some kind of material inheritance to back up that wisdom, right? If you don't have that, then what really is that wisdom worth? It's not worth too much. Um, and I, I don't quite know what this means. Um, I guess it could mean people who are, you know, actually able to experience life in a way and go out and, and live in the presence of the sun. Um, I think so. I, I don't, I don't fully know, honestly. I think little eh, the people who see the sun, those who are able to to experience, because he uses the sun as all the days of life under the sun, tahatashamish, right? So little eh, ashamish, I would think is like similar to that, like just people who are beholding it alive, people who are enlightened. Yeah, I, I tend to sway away from that, but yeah, if you want to interpret it that way, because because he uses tahatashamish as people who are alive in the world, you know. I don't think he means it with no, that, but, but it could they be. They see the sun. They're not Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Michael, I could. could be... I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. 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 Sorry, Albert. No, I'm just. Could it be that uh, the one who has wisdom, it's as if as another party is looking at them like they're the sun, meaning, you know, they exude a certain presence, a light. Could it be that? I love I really do. I just, I don't know that it's the shot. I think the simple meaning is just saying part of like a tikbolet structure with the beginning of the pasuk, it's good to have wisdom with something tangible to it. And nahala, ro'eh hashamish, I think nahala and ro'eh hashamish have to be parallel in a certain way. That's why I'm like resistant to accepting that other interpretation that it's more of those who are living in the world and and have a nahala and they they have something to pass on to me it, it seems like it has to be that but i'm open to interpretations for sure i don't want to shut that down at all yeah or really it's something you inherit but yeah it's it's going to be passed on it seems yeah i, I wish i had a better uh, a better explanation for you but yeah, no, I, I, I think, think of an inheritance like you when you pass it down, you don't take a Spanish name. Mm, interesting. I thought we were talking about the Yeah, I think it is just people who are alive to see it. I really think that's really what it means. But let's see. Oh, no, here now we're gonna talk about shade. So let's see what that could mean. For to be in the shelter of wisdom, or really in the shade of wisdom. Is to, is to be also in the shelter of money, right? And the advantage of intelligence is that wisdom preserves the life of him who possesses it. So I think this is also parallel to this pasuk, right? Preserves the life of, right? And I think that's what it means, little Ehashamish, that you'll be alive, you'll, you'll, you'll survive if you have this chokhmah, right? And, uh, but it's good to have that wisdom alongside the wealth because you know, at least that will give you a better chance of surviving whatever life has to bring to you. Um, 
And it seems that even more than the, than the shelter itself or than the, than the material possession itself, wisdom will, will be the thing that kind of bails you out no matter what, because we've seen previously in the book, wisdom is about practical skill. That's the way he's using it. It's wisdom brings and secures your wealth, according to Rashi. It's something that will get you towards that stage of having the wealth. So I think it, just based on this, I'm still swayed to say that Oya Shamish means people who are alive to be able to enjoy it and survive whatever life brings them. Um, and we know from Mishleh, So next time you're in Israel, you hear people saying, The literal meaning of that is not that charity saves you from death, but rather in the, in the totality of that pasuk, wealth is of no avail on the day of wrath, but righteousness saves from death in a very practical sense, that if you were righteous, you didn't get into all that trouble. The mafia is not going to be able to after you, and they're not going to send, uh, you know, Joe Kaczynski to go break your legs because you didn't pay up, right? So it seems like there's a, there's an inherent intelligence or advantage in intelligence itself. It preserves you from from sudden disaster that you might otherwise face if you were not so wise, right? I think that I think that's kind of uh, the way it hits me. Any questions or comments before we move on? Because I know that was a little bit tricky. Um, so what do you guys make of, of just that whole section that he, I think he's just trying to say, despite previously saying wisdom is not so good in line with this uh, chapter, he's, he's actually swaying more towards encouraging certain things that we wouldn't traditionally think are valuable, like wisdom. And what did we say earlier? Um, you know, not, not really being so angry and, and recognizing death. These are things that we would normally expect to see in a wisdom book, but we haven't seen so much in this chapter. So it's amazing that he's going more traditional in a way. And that's probably why, uh, you know, a lot of us like this well, chapter. So much traditional. I mean, I mean we, yeah. we, it's an obvious thing in repeating another thing that's said all the time. Yeah, I'm saying relative but to before. What's not really done is this idea that wisdom is more important than money. Yes. Come on, like, we don't live our lives like that. Most people. Yeah. Um, but I think it's yeah, it's in line with other wisdom mind. literature. I'm, I feel like it's something that 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 you know Mishle would say. Yeah, we weren't we weren't able to make so many parallels to Mishle previously. More than that, it was more like opposites of Mishle when we were noticing it. Well, he's earned this point. He went in, in search. Yeah, yeah, but I think previously in the book he's completely contradicted it. So I'm just noticing that in this chapter he's being more traditional than he usually is mm-hmm. in terms of being more in line with other wisdom literature. That's what, what do you yeah. mean? Wisdom gives wisdom. Life. That that it, it like we were saying, it's just kind of like a practical skill in terms of escaping disaster, but also it, it gives you the wisdom to avoid getting involved in dubious things. And if you're involved in those dubious things, you're more likely to have something bad happen. Like I said, with the mafia, the mafia is going to come after you. That's probably because you were unwise. Yeah, exactly. In a, in a way, I mean, his, whoever wrote this book, I mean, we argued that, but, but the wisdom here. Is, is passed down, we're still reading it. It's living longer. Yes, than, that's well, the irony. We, all, we always point out the, the great irony of reading this book is that it, 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 it's here. It, clearly, it wasn't folly if we're reading it so many thousands of years later. And, and it's not, you know, wisdom uh, has a point to it. And he's saying, I don't even know what's going to be of all this stuff. Well, here it is it's in front of you right now. So let that be some solace. Still living. That was uh, the Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That was the yeah. Greeks had this idea of like, um, Creating an idea baby would last longer than any actual baby. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. What if it was in Plato's Symposium? Wow. The finest point of love was. What is it? 
there's a lot of disturbing ideas in that book. Wow. <laughs> it's a very, very troublesome book. One wow. of the things it does say is that an idea of the well on the Yeah. Right, the grass fades away, but God's word always lasts. The Ishaya said it exactly. All right, so let's see the next section, which is going to be about ignorance and frailty. So this is going to be uh, the next two pesukim. So let's dive in. Consider God's doing. Who can straighten what He has twisted? All right, so this is interesting because we saw earlier in the book. Uh, a very similar thing. Nobody can fix that which is twisted. All right. So he now he's going straight forward. He's saying God twisted th- certain things. There's certain things about the world that are perverted justice. Justice that's not being carried out in a way, uh, at least according to Eov, that's what it is. But it could be anything that you see in the world that doesn't seem quite right. Um, so let's see the next pasuk. Be'yom tova he'ye betov. So in a time of good fortune, enjoy the good fortune. And in a time of misfortune, reflect. The one no less than the other was God's doing. Consequently, man may find no fault with him. So that pasuk really hits you hard because he's saying, all right, if things are going well, enjoy it. But when things are not going well, just accept. This is the will of God. This is probably one of the only pesukim in the whole Torah that expresses it as just accept the will of God. And you want to ask me what's the most anti-Judaism idea? This is probably the most anti-Judaism idea in the whole book. Because Judaism is all about faith as protest, at least in the way Rabbi Sachs puts it. It's about not accepting the status quo. When evil happens, why did this happen? The Nevi'im will ask God and the God will say, so you can go and fix it. Because you got to be the change you wish to see in the world, the world, in the words of Gandhi, right? So that's the more Jewish approach is to evil happens so we can respond to it. Yeah, the well, opposite. Michael, you always say when, when at a, a, a house of a mourner, you say, Baruch Diana Emet. What do you think this is? Same thing. Yes, but he's saying, don't ever hope to, to, to make any progress in the world. Why is he saying because he's seen, like in previous chapters, he, well, why is he saying, you saying, why am I saying saying that? He's saying, God has twisted certain things, you cannot fix them. You cannot straighten that which is twisted. So that's not the way that God comes across in every other book. Every other book, God's saying, you don't like it? Not, you don't like it, lump it, but rather, you don't like it, you be the change. Certain things are right. If it happened already in the past, obviously you can't change it. But if you see injustice being done, you can do something to respond to it. That's the other, the other books of the Tanakh. And Kohelet is not in line with that. He really is not. He does not believe that there's ever hope for progress. He sees time as cyclical, rep- repetitive, human action as, as inconsequential. The rest of the Tanakh sees time as linear. That's the big Hidush of the Torah. Things are moving towards a certain point. We are progressing. Tikkun olam, for whatever it's worth, even though that term is a later term. But point is, I think this is a very anti-Judaism idea. So let me just yeah, say a I couple. I understand of... what you're saying now. But I agree. Yeah. Makes sense. Perfect. And, and uh, I, I think it's in chapter one that he mentions the me'ovad uh, yichalit kon. Yeah, chapter one, verse 15. Yeah. Um, right. So just a couple more points about this pasuk. 
Um, and by the way, do you guys have to go at any particular point or otherwise I'll just continue? No problem. Whenever you need to go, really feel free to go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to keep you guys too long, but uh, if we can, I'd like to finish the chapter. But uh, whoever has to leave, really, no worries. I just want to, I want to knock it out right here, right now. Um, so just a couple points about this pasuk, and then we'll continue, and we'll, we'll open up to more questions and comments. Um, what he's saying here, when he says, enjoy the good fortune, of course, it seems, again, he's saying, I'm just going to enjoy yourself, enjoy the the pleasures of it because after all, we don't know what's going to be in the end. We don't know what the next thing is that's going to happen in the world. Therefore, the best thing you can do is to enjoy the pleasures of the moment that have serendipitously found their way into your lap because there's nothing else worth really living for. This is more kind of hearkening back to what we've seen in prior uh, Perakim, as opposed to the rest of the Perak until now where we've said, oh, it's more similar. It's more of a 180. Now, this is more in line with what he's said previously. Um, and also, we're seeing that he objects to the notion that, that, um, that, that, God, that the normal ups and downs of life have any correspondence to moral desserts. Take care, guys. That there's any kind of morality involved with the way that things play out. And again, that's, that doesn't seem to be fully in line with the way that the Tanakh portrays it, which is that if you do good in life, you get good things happening to you. And you're right, there's a lot of things that cannot be explained in the world, but for the most part, that's our faith in life, is that if I invest goodness into my life, I want to see goodness coming out. That's what I'm hoping for. He's saying, don't even hope for that. Things are just haphazard and random. So just enjoy the good while it lasts. And then realize that all the evil, it's God's doing. And do we know, what do we say in Birkot Shema in the morning? We quote a pasuk from uh, Yeshayahu, right? Different one in Bikot Shema before that. We say, Kiani Adonai Ose Shalom. Sorry, Bore Yoser Or Bore Hoshech. Ose Shalom Ubore. What is it really? Bore Ra. Exactly, right? So he says, I form the light and create darkness, says God. I make wheel and create woe, meaning I, I make the good and the bad. I, the Lord, do all of these things. The Hachamim couldn't accept that God would say about himself, uh, so they changed it to they changed the Pasuk that we read about every day. I'm not faulting the Hachamim because you don't want people to necessarily have an existential crisis as they're reading the Pasuk. Say it again. So why, I think that it's because, you know, not to open up a philosophical Pandora's box every morning. That's my opinion as to why they changed it. But if we want to look at what the real Pasukim are saying, this is a very interesting thing that yes, both good and evil come from God. And the notion that, that only good comes from God, you know, is not necessarily a fully, you know, monotheistic one. You might f- fall into the trap that the, some of the Christians fall into, which is saying that the, that the devil and God are different beings and that there's a dualism and that good and evil are at odds. A more monotheistic view is yeah, both good and evil come from God in a sense, even though we don't understand how it works. So that's just interesting to, to note. Um, and it's like God is keeping this, this wheel of fortune turning because we, we really can't discover anything until it happens afterwards. So just understand that this is the way that God is kind of rolling the dice with the universe. Um, and he doesn't want humans to know the future. He doesn't want humans understanding his ways. So therefore, this is just the way that things play out. It's a very haphazard and uncomfortable world for us to accept.
and it's really it doesn't seem so much in line it's more like a greek god in a way right the greek gods were they would do things right in the epic of gilgamesh they wanted to destroy unta pishtin the god that's like noah not because he was evil but they sorry they wanted to destroy humanity not because they were evil but because they were making too much noise all right so it's a very it's a very greek way of of viewing the universe um they were like the kettle under the kettle under the bed, it's just like a, it's just noise, right? It, uh, what is it by Shakespeare? A tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, right? So that's all that this is. We make all this meaning out of it, but really? Sorry to what tell it. connection to the rest of the whole character telling you, uh, you know, be okay with whatever comes up. I feel like that's so connected. He's saying you have to be okay with everything that comes up because don't expect good things to come from God. Only good things. Well, he's kind of right. I mean, he's not- right. I'm not saying he's wrong. You're but, saying it's not Jewish. But I'm saying it's not necessarily so Jewish. And I'm also saying you don't have to tell it this way. You don't have to tell the story in such extreme terms as... I don't know, Gam, like a Gamzu Vasova type mentality. Like but that, Yeah, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there's real evil and there's no meaning to why it happened. That's what the English translation is trying to trick us also. It's when it says like a word like when something bad happens, reflect. Um, yeah, he, he says re'eh. Look, he's saying reflect, but he's not saying reflect and there's any meaning to it. He's saying reflect. The reason God did this, he says in the bazook, is so that man should not know what the future holds. Right? And it's just all haphazard. God is always going to be one step ahead of us. And even if you want to talk about the Garden of Eden story, the way that uh, Michael Fox puts it is that Divine jealousy of human knowledge is a motif. No, it's also there's from no there. fault in God. All this is for God's doing. It's so that we cannot find so fault in him. He did this to evade us being able to find fault in him. Well, or we shouldn't find fault in the bad. That's not what it's saying, though. It's saying, after God, any kind of fault. So don't find fault in God. He's saying in, God made the order, universe this way so that we cannot be able to find fault in him. He is, God is evading our ability to do what Eov did, which is take him to task. And how does he do that? By making everything haphazard. And saying, oh, what you're expecting. Uh, we're twisting everything. So we can't exactly. We can't figure it out. We don't know. He's always one step ahead in a way. Gonna, what, there's like that analogy. If he's going to show us that the world wasn't going to take all the part thing. I never heard that one, but yes, say more. Yeah, for God. There's this whole idea that, that, that it's all put together with like a, like a suit is sewed together. And for a, a tailor to show someone all the material in the suit, the only way he could do that is if he destroyed the entire world. He had destroyed the entire suit. Mm. Yeah, so we'd have to take apart the entire, we'd have to, if, in order to sh- for us to understand it, he'd have to mm. untwist the whole world that it would destroy. Oh, Very interesting, yeah. yeah. I know. I think it's from Tanakh. He said the line: "If in order for me to show you, I'd have to destroy them." I don't know from where. Well, I know the Irani had done Man cannot see me and lives. He says to Moses, but maybe like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I'll find. Let me know. Yeah, for sure. The whole world that it's all like put together. Quantum entanglement of everything. For us to understand it, he'd have to rip the entire thing apart. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, so like, suit, you all, you all understand, or a phone, you all understand how it works, and you can look at every little detail. Like, yeah, yeah, if you've destroyed the phone. Yeah. <laughs> then you have a broken phone. <laughs> you know what it is. Uh-huh. It's not like you can get enough data, and you like, recreate it after.
hope well, no, what he's saying is you can't put it back together once you see mm -hmm. it. doesn't make any sense to back like, 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 If he wanted to show it, yeah. Mailer, like, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's let's move on because we just have a lot to do. But yeah, well let's we'll see if we could address that same point because I think um, we're gonna definitely hit on that same motif of lack of understanding right now. All right, so this is gonna be about the paradoxes of justice. These next uh, until really a pasuk kaf bet. So let's see what he says here. Et hakol ra'iti b'mehevli yesh sadik oved besitko ve'yesh rasha marich berato. In my own brief span of life, I have seen both these things. Sometimes a good man perishes in spite of his goodness, and sometimes a wicked one endures in spite of his wickedness. So this is the ultimate question, the Odyssey. How could this be? Sadik veralo rasha betovlo. And he's saying, this is part of the senselessness of my life is that I've experienced these things. Now, therefore, because uh, good people die and evil people prosper, what is the conclusion that he comes to? It's so different than other books of the Tanakh, which are, let me better the world. Let me take this as an opportunity to reflect and become a better person. No, no, no. That's not what he says. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So don't overdo goodness and don't act the wise man to excess or you may be dumbfounded, right? Don't be too much of a sadiq and don't be too much of a hakam because you'll be completely blown out of the water. You want to know what's going on because if those are your tools to navigate the world, right? Sidkut, Sedek, and Chokma, you're going to be so lost because the world is a fundamentally not understandable place. It's unfathomable. You will never understand it in terms of good and evil. You will never understand it in terms of your wisdom. Don't even try to do that. Maybe don't think of yourself as so smart to do. Think yeah. of yourself as so smart or so righteous you won't listen to others. That too, but I think the point that he's making here is because you're gonna, you're, you, you just look at the conclusions. Look at the conclusions that you should make from seeing evil people prosper and good suffer. <laughs> Right, and, and amazingly here, say it again? Uh, 100%. I was going to make that point. 100%. I think that he's realized that it hasn't brought him the amount of happiness that he would have wanted. And therefore, he's kind of giving up on it. He's saying, there's no, there's no value in this. Right, and that's what it seems. Um, he's saying straining for perfection is presumptuous. Right, you don't, you're not accepting human limitations if you're trying to be a, the complete sadiq or complete hakam. Rather, we should accept the fact that we ourselves are a mixture of good and evil, right? And the way that uh, Carl Jung would say this is embrace the shadow element. Embrace the part of yourself that's not so good. And you know what? It's part of being a human being. I'm not saying go out and do evil, but accept the fact that you are also partially evil. Everybody is. And that's okay. And I think that's a beautiful lesson to take from this. You don't have to go as, uh, you know, you don't have to go too far with it, but there's something very true about that. And, you know, when God creates the world, everything's tov, 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 except when he creates man. He doesn't say man is tov. Because man is neither tov nor da. He's both. You can't declare man tov. Man is free will to be good, both good and evil. Exactly. It's because it's basically that's, that's the test. Is, is what, which side of yourself are you going to engage? The good or the evil? Exactly. Right?
I think it's it's all it's all the, that the point of the story is to show us that we have this capability to be both good and evil, right? You know, um, so don't act uh, to excess as a wise man. It's interesting because the, the word titchakam uh, sounds like you know paro Look what happens when you try to be too wise. You'd be like paro in a way, right? Um, what else here? He says, you, it, also, this is really interesting. And this seems like is what happened to him. If you're too wise, if you open yourself too much to this wisdom, you're going to be dumbfounded. You're going to be vexed. You're not going to understand the world because it's completely, and you're going to, you're going to open your eyes to the absurdities of life and the injustice. You're going to become a nihilist like me, he's saying. You're going to be a nihilist like me if you keep on, you know, addressing this, this wisdom stuff, don't do it. Believe you me, he's saying. Um, and also, obviously, don't overdo wickedness. Um, everybody's inescapably flawed. So accept the amount of wickedness that you have, but don't overdo it. <laughs> Thank God he says that. Um, all right, so that's in this pasuk. Don't overdo wickedness. Don't be a fool or you may die before your time. Right, he's saying... All this stuff, it just doesn't, any extreme that you're going to go to is not going to sh- serve well for you. So just be moderate. Be a moderately good person, but acknowledge that you have flaws and evil in you. I think that's that's sensible advice. Um, ah, so he's going to say that even the, the so he's going to say striving for perfection is ridiculous. He doesn't say the word better. Maybe he would be okay with striving for better. But if you try to completely forget about your natural human evils, right, you're not going to be a real human. You're just going to be somebody that you're not. You're not perfect. Right. I think that's. But, yeah, I I don't I I could see him agreeing. Yeah. Be as good as you want, as you can be. But never forget. You're also evil. (laughs) Like that wink, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) we all are a little bit evil. Um, Tov asher te'ehoz. Uh, it is best that you grasp the one without letting go of the other. For one who fears God will do his duty by both, right? And this seems to be talking about both good and evil, right? Um, and exactly, you should you should have extreme moderation here, right? Engage in both of them. Um, and what does it mean that for one who fears God? will do his duty by both. That's one possibility of how to interpret it. Also, you could say, will depart from both, meaning you, 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 you'll, you'll keep your distance from an extreme righteousness and an extreme um, evil. So you'll be yotzeh. Don't go too far that way. Don't go too far that way. Stay in the middle path. Um, somebody who fears God, yeah. So, but but don't fear God so much that you think you're perfect and you're going too far in the, in the goodness direction. But don't you want to be going in the goodness direction? I'm saying don't don't be too extremely a, a good person. Don't strive to be perfect. That's what he's saying. Don't be perfect. You won't be because you'll never. Be. Yeah. Right, but I'm saying any God-fearing person would want to be better in order to please God. So that's what he's saying. You can't please God. There's no, there's no, there's no real pleasing God. It seems God's going to do what he's going to do. And the way things, you know, but things will play out badly for you if you're too evil. 
but it's not about pleasing God. It's about being a moderately good person. It seems for its own sake, but you know what? Maybe at the end of the book, he'll, he'll say, I know he's going to say that. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Oh, a spoiler alert. I'll, I'll insert that in the recording. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's just about extremes for the most part. But yeah, good question. Um, so let's see, verse yeah, 19. Yes. And that's so dangerous. Self-righteousness and... Uh, and the minute you think you're too smart, you're not learning from anyone. 100%. Being too moralistic. Yeah, I'm better than you. 100%. And you're not able to see past your own but perspective. I like also that perfectionism angle. Like, don't be too perfect. Because perfectionism is dangerous in itself. Um, Even if you're doing it, Lishma. Yes. Because it's then you're living, you're trying to be this malach, and we're human beings, like we have all these things that come up. It's not even malach, it's malach. You're trying to be God. Yeah. yeah. It's so that like you'll never hit it. And now exactly. you you'll torture yourself. Exactly. Right? You're always going to be. Uh... Dumped out. Why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? Exactly. I'm trying so hard. You're not going to understand be, it. I should be perfect already. <laughs> exactly. Damn it. Perfectionism is a, is a recipe for disaster. Well, you know, that's that's for sure. Um, so let's see verse 19. Wisdom is more of a stronghold to a wise man than 10 ma- uh, magnets um, that a city may contain. Magnets is like uh, very strong leaders, it seems. Right? So. No, this is magnets. It's not like, not like the other, not like the attractive. Not, not for the quantum physics magnets, exactly. Right? So, so this verse here actually makes more sense. After verse 12, right? We were just talking about Chokmah. That was all about wisdom. We would have expected, so some people say, really insert this Pasuk about wisdom over there. It makes more sense over there. It's kind of standalone. Um, but then you could even, you know, if you, if, instead of Asara Shalitim, you could say Me'oshir Hashalitim. You put the He over there, it might have been a scribal thing. Um, and that, then it would be the, the riches of the Shali team. Chokmah is better than that. And that's exactly what we were saying earlier. Chokmah is better than, than any, any riches that you could possibly have. That's just something interesting. Um, let's see the next couple of Pesukim. And then we'll finish that section. We'll move on to the next one. Ki adam en sadiq Right? For there is not one good man on earth who does, does what is best and doesn't err. There's no such thing as a sadiq. So this is like kind of what we were reading from right before that. So that's what the Gemara says. It's never actually in. Uh, maybe you could say Noah sadiq tamim could be interpreted as he was perfect and never sinned. But whether or not he, he maybe he doesn't agree. Maybe he doesn't think on a cosmic level that that's true, right? Yeah. No, please. Yes. They're real humans with real problems that we're able to relate to, you know, and, and uh, it's not painting a picture of perfect people because perfect people are fictional and we're reading about real people, right? Perfect. Um, say it again. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, so what do you guys think of this pasuka? I mean, it just, it seems very logical to me and it seems like it really does flow from right over here, right from verse 18. 
Yep, very similar, simple. Gam lechol adivarim asher yidaberu al titen lebecha asher lo tishma et avdecha mekalelecha. Finally, don't pay attention to everything that is said. Don't, you know, get involved in all that gossip so that you may not hear your slave reviling you. You don't want to hear, trust me, he's saying, you don't want to hear all the garbage that's said about you. So sometimes we get self-conscious. We say, what did you say about me? What did they say? What did he say? What, did, what do people say about me behind my back? You know, and, and, it, and it, it, we, we drive ourselves nuts. Evolutionarily, we're built to care so much about our reputation because if you didn't have a reputation, right, the group would ostracize you and you would never survive on your own. Another band of other gorillas or whatever would come and eat you. You know, so it matters a lot, your reputation and gossip matters. But he's saying, don't go too crazy with it. And, you know, we understand why we care so much about reputation, but don't listen too much to it because you're just going to expose yourself to the sting of these insults and it's not going to help you. And it seems like maybe he's saying this from, from his own personal experience. Maybe he had an experience where he asked a little too much and he heard his slave cursing him. Yeah, I don't I don't know that there's necessarily looking down on them. It's more like you don't want to hear it. Well, but still, if you're li- if you're listening to it, he's above you. The slave is above you. Why? Because you're letting him bring you down. Yeah. Yeah. Um he's your master, you're saying because you're allowing his his words to get to you. Yeah, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, in a way, you're 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 giving up control, for sure. I I, I could definitely get behind that, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's really just saying you don't even want to hear, you don't want to know what what, what yeah what everyone's saying. You shouldn't about. let it bother you. Uh huh. You should. I mean, you, you're gonna hear it. Yeah, I agree. You, you shouldn't, shouldn't let it bother you. To it. Yeah. There, there's an there's an English saying. Uh, your opinion of me is none of my business. Aha, there you go. I love that. That's exactly it. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Ideally, we shouldn't let it bother us, but it's going to bother you. If somebody's really talking badly about you, it's going to bother you. It seems that's what he's saying. Right. So rather than explore it, leave it alone. Don't delve too much too far into Don't give your heart to it. Yeah. I think that means more like see mu live, pay attention. Don't pay attention to it. Don't pay attention. Exactly. Exactly. Don't, Don't be hurt by it. Yeah. Uh, don't pay attention to me. Don't go at seeking it out. I think oh, that's that? yeah. But yeah, I should lot tishma et avdecha. Don't even listen to it. So I mean, yes, exactly. Vidyuk ki gam peamim rabot yadali becha shel gam ataki lalta acherim. For well, you remember the many times that you yourself have reviled others. You do it too. You've spoken badly about other people. You're a human being. Say it again. He's calling us all out. He's saying, you holier than that people. The rabbi who gives a speech about, about Lashon Hara from the pulpit. Yeah, him too. He also spoke Lashon Hara. So don't get up on your high horse, he's saying. You, were, you know you do the same thing. So don't go about being moralistic about it. Like, oh, people shouldn't do that. Except the fact that, and that seems to be a pretty strong motif in this chapter, accept things the way they are. Don't go seeking out extra worries. Take them as they come. You've done the same to others. Just let it go. And I think that's, uh, or, or, you know, just leave it be is better. Is a better way of putting it. Um, so, 
it's, it's you know, we're up to verse 23. I'll try to go quickly, so I'll let you guys go soon. Um, so now we're going to talk about the inevitability of ignorance, right? So it's inevitable that because of everything we're saying that you're going to be ignorant, you're not going to be able to have all this wisdom inside of you because that's just a fundamental part and parcel of being a human being. Exactly. So let's see what he says. 23. All this I tested with wisdom. I said, I thought I could fathom it, but it eludes me. He says, I haven't been able to understand any of this stuff. What does it seem that he can't understand? He set out in the beginning of the book, in chapter one, he says, to study and to probe with wisdom all that happens under the sun. He wanted to understand all of it, but he realizes now in chapter seven that he fell short of his goal. He got all this wisdom. He learned a lot, but the real deeper wisdom still eludes him. He still cannot understand the real depths of reality. Can't read God's mind in a way. Um, yeah, yes. Yes. You say, yeah, question? Yeah, it sounds so beautiful, right? The prose of it. No, so, no, no. It's like, um, it's very deep. Yes. Ah, okay. It's within you. The secret of what happens is elusive and deep, deep down. Who can discover it, right? But it's the, also saying it's it's like the opposite of Moshe. Ah, uh, the, the Torah, Lord Hakamimin. Yeah, all right. Lo b'shamayim hilemor. Yeah, Lord Hakamimin. Exactly. So, a hundred percent. But I think here he's saying um, the the wisdom is so far away from me. What's going to happen or what's happening in the world is impossible to grasp. You no know, one can be a futurist. Nobody could tell the future. Um, so that's why he just kind of is realizing how limited he is and how much he doesn't know. Exactly. And he's saying, even though I amassed a lot of chokmah, you know, the wisest thing you could say is I know nothing. That's, that's real wisdom is when you finally realize how little, you know, that's when you become a real hacham. And it seems like that's the mark of a of true chokmah here. Um, and now, uh, okay, we're not quite at the next, uh, you know, 26. Yeah, so we'll continue. I, I, I'm going to have to make a trigger warning soon. So before yeah, 26, very, uh, I'm going to try to make a trigger warning. Very, what's the word? Um, yes, very, very misogynistic. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but feel free to leave if you can't, if you don't want to hear it. Um, yeah, exactly. I put my mind to studying, exploiting, and seeking wisdom and the reason of things, and to studying wickedness, stupidity, madness, and folly. So I wanted to understand all this stuff, right? So now, trigger warning. Now I find woman more bitter than death. She is all traps. Her hands are fetters and her heart is, is uh, snares. He who is pleasing to God escapes her. And he who is displeasing is caught by her. He needs to relax. He's taking chill pill. Ah, so that's what some people say, but you're not going to say that in the next bus. Oh, no. But, but, but it would be nice if that were the case. You're trying. But I will tell you what the saving grace is. 
The saving grace isn't that in chapter 9, he's going to say, in chapter 9, he's going to say, enjoy life with the woman that you love. He's going to give that advice. So, he, again, he's not always consistent. We're not there yet. He doesn't always believe it. Stop skipping ahead. He doesn't always a little. I had to, I had to give a little. Uh, I don't want them to walk out of the class. Yeah, they weren't going to come back. We needed. Now, now they have something to look forward to in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a man who had a thousand eyes. Also, 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 yes, they do say that. So, also, this could be that it's not it's not a philosophical statement of wise truth that he's trying to say. It could be a wise crack, according to this. It could be self-directed irony. Uh, we'll see later on because at the end my of the chapter, at the end of the chapter, he's going to see, look how crazy my thoughts were this whole time. We'll see that in a few minutes. But the whole point of that is like, look how crazy this line of thinking led me. He's going to say that in a couple of Pesukim, and this is probably included. He's noticing how ironic and ridiculous he's being because of whatever's going on. And we'll, we'll say even maybe, it's, and it's well, very hyperbolic. Woman's harder to understand. Than the woman's hard to understand. But maybe he himself was looking for a woman and never found one. Maybe he sought to find a wife and got rejected. Or maybe it's not uh, Shalomo. Maybe it's Kohelet, this fictional character who was rejected, and we've seen in previous Perakim that he, has, he doesn't know what's going to be of his inheritance. Right. Maybe, maybe he doesn't have, we know he definitely doesn't have male children, right. if that's the case, if he's not sure what's going to be of his inheritance. So it could be that this is just a Kohelet dude, and he never found a, a wife, and he's just been rejected so many times that he's bitter. It's a possibility. It escapes from this type of woman. And that doesn't say this type of woman. It says woman. But we'll see. I'll prove it in the next pasuk. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He's going he's gonna to rip into woman it's, it's fine. Says, it says Haisha. Yes. Wait, wait one second. Let's see. Um, see, this is what I found, said Kohelet, item by item in my search for the reason of things, saying he's doing it even mathematically, he's trying to find the reason. Saying, as for what I sought further, but did not find, I found only one human being in a thousand, meaning one guy out of a thousand that I could say was a worthwhile human being, a valuable guy. And um, who knows, maybe. And the one I found among so many was never a woman. He's saying, and, and, and even with that tiny 0.01%, it, w- it was never a woman. Woman would never make the cut for the one uh, worthwhile human that I would have found out of my searching in the thousands. And interestingly, by the way, this pasuk, just a funny point to lighten the mood a little more. Um, <laughs> right, when it says, uh, is actually a commentary on Pesach. When we say, maror ze, you have to point to the maror. So one of the commentaries says, you point to your wife. That the woman is like, maror, so you're Yotzef, you point it to the wife instead of the maror. That's, but there's another pasuk in, uh, in, in Proverbs, in Mishle. He who has found a woman found goodness and has won the favor of God. Right? So, you know, don't, don't look down on all of the Tanakh. There's a lot of Pesukim. We know 
is much nicer pesukim, but the, clearly this one is hyperbolic and it's misogynistic and it's just wrong. But again, he's going to point out his own irony in a couple of pesukim. Um, but another interesting thing about this pasuk 28 that we just read, um, instead of reading it as asher odvikshan, you could read it as isha. Maybe that little thing was missing from this resh. Would have been a hey, isha odvikshan apshi. Could be. I also was. I, I was looking for a woman to marry. It could be, and I didn't find one. It makes sense. I know exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like chicken or the egg, dude. Which one was it? Were you this much of a misogynist? <laughs> no, isha od. Ah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make for with this interpretation. I think also isha od bikshan apshi. I didn't find a wife. And then what I the worthwhile people that I found, it doesn't have to be I for marriage. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's only it's a self-directed irony in a minute. You're gonna see. But yes. Yeah. And he says, even if though I found one good guy out of a thousand, it was always a man, which is crazy. Um but you know, when 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 uh when we see in uh in Mishle, when it says Eshet right? It's saying how how rare is it to find a good woman? So it's a, it's a similar thing in Mishle with Eshet Chayel Miimsa, but it's not it's not coming from the perspective of let me lament how few and far between are Eshet Chayel. It's saying instead how great is it that a woman can be found who is Eshet Chayel, and I found one. That's the point that it's making instead of you know lamenting like he is that there's no good woman out there. That's like somebody who. <laughs> This is a real Hazid case, to be honest. I don't want to. I don't want to bash him, but I think that that's. It's just a very sad display of well, a person's so mind. So um, caught up in himself. Yes, it's and very he's sad. So great that he'll never find an equal. Exactly. He can't find an equal in men. He only finds one in a thousand men, and he can't find exactly. an equal in women. And he'll be alone for the rest of his life. Did you? I just spoke to someone like this. He, he, you know, he's a very wealthy Sorry. man. Yes. Genius guy. But it, it, it means struggling to, to find an equal. Yes. And when you think of yourself in that light, you're going to struggle. Exactly. If you think, if you're so stuck philosophically in your own head, it's hard to go find time to date. And what is he talking about on the dates? You know, he's talking about life is meaningless <laughs> and there's nothing, pleasure is all that matters. I call Who's going to want to marry him? I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little if too you harsh. Are, you're yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so now another, inter- so we mentioned the interpretation of finding a wife. Um, and we mentioned already that he had, it might be that he really had no sons, uh, as we mentioned earlier. Okay, so let's see Pasuk 29, and we'll, with this we'll finish. Levad, re'eze matzati, elohim et ha'adam yashar, vehema bikshu heshevonot rabim. But see, this I did find. God made men plain and straight, but they have engaged in too much reasoning. He's saying, what's the source? What's the root of all of our issues? This whole book. What's the root of all the issues that he's noticing? He's noticing about himself. He said, I, I set out to find all this wisdom, but I didn't find any wisdom. It's, it's amok. It's rahok. I can't find it. You know what the real issue? Issue really is, is that I'm trying to find wisdom. He's saying, that's the problem. It's all my calculations that brought me to this point. I'm realizing how senseless were these calculations. I'm too smart for my own good. The recognition that human cleverness collapses of its own weight. It cannot stand. If you're so smart and you're so intelligent, but you become so cynical as a result, and you become so nihilistic as a result, and you're, de- you're depressed, 
then was that real wisdom? Okay, maybe you were really smart. Maybe your left brain was fantastic and you were able to really get at things. But if it led you to this, and he's realizing this about himself, as great as my calculations could be, maybe the cleverness that I was striving after was really real futility because it got me nowhere. And the real issue is that we should be tamim. We should be simple. But, and God made us that way. But we had to eat from that fruit of knowledge of good and evil. That just popped into my head now. Oh, unbelievable. Amazing. Wow. It's, it's already, that's fantastic. Right in line with that. And it's amazing. He's, he, in a way, he's saying, if only we didn't eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. If only we lived that life of just being as Adam, you know, before eating from the tree, without getting this wisdom, we would be much better off. We wouldn't have all these vexations. We wouldn't be nervous and angry. Anxiety problems, you know, yeah. caught up in the world. Yeah, 100%. In, the, in their own default mode network of thought looping, 100%. We just trap ourselves. In this. Exactly. We needed we're, to have... We're thinking too much. And then we're, we're thinking of too much about thinking too much. And yeah, upset ourselves. exactly. And we're it never ends. The loop of self-shame. This is Al's favorite line, by the way. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. This, this last one? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But see, it's Beautiful. It's a really fantastic line. And I think if nothing else from this class, you could gain, okay, you know, let's take this point to heart. Overthinking is not good. If you're overthinking things, you're usually not too happy. You're usually so stuck in your own brain that you're not really engaged in whatever you're physically doing at that point. And that's a problem. So instead, what can you do? Meditate. Stole the words right from my mind. <laughs> exactly. That's beautiful. Now I'm so happy because meditation allows you to notice these thoughts. It allows you to realize. It allows you to be more mindful. It allows you to just kind of exist in what you're doing rather than continuing to exist in your brain. This, again, goes back to left brain versus right brain distinction. If you're constantly engaging in your left brain and you're not leaving any room for your right brain and the experiential elements of life, you're not going to be too happy. So I think that's a great point of wisdom overall. Um, really thank you guys for joining. I want to, if, if you have to go, please feel free to leave whenever you want. Any questions and comments? Please, yeah. I was wondering, what would you especially now? I think. I'm wondering, what would you diagnose? Um, oh. <laughs> oh. Being the human experience. The human wow. Human. I would diagnose him as human. Oh, that's it. Yeah, he, he suffers. Uh, I mean, he sounds like he's. Mike wanted to get into depression in the beginning. Yeah. I don't really believe in diagnosis so much generally, but. but uh, yeah, it's the he, wrong person. Yeah, yes. Yeah, no, what kind of psychologist are you? Yeah. I, no, he's, he, there's two types of models. There's the disease model, and then there's the other model. You don't, some people don't like, I don't really know. Yeah. No, it's somewhat, but it's, um, it's, he's a person, he's suffering. He's trying to figure it out. I, I diagnose him with, with smart, he's too smart for his own good. And you see this to a lot of people who are very smart. They twist themselves. They get stuck in their own, their genius destroys themselves. And it's this, um, they get stuck between two things like, they could take that genius and be and really like like be live an amazing life, or they could let it wrap themselves up in their own ego and their own self, and then they drag them down. They can't get out of their own way. And they start thinking thoughts like women are. I like know someone who's like, <laughs> very smart, but he really thinks that life is so meaningless. <laughs>
you'll see that the smartest people are actually very dark. They, they, they um, get depressed more easily. The, the um, addiction uh, plagues them. He means intelligent, uh, but not intelligent. intellectual. People who are thinking very deeply about life will be very disturbed by life a lot of times. Um, they won't, they'll have trouble relating to others and they may. Um, but writers and. Yeah, a lot of writers, you see so much depression among, among a lot of these, um, a lot of these so-called geniuses. It's a pain, it can be a painful, if not um, directed in the, in the right way. It's, it's a burden, it's a responsibility. To, to help them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I diagnose them with too much. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, also you could tell them about like the disease model it, with the labeling disease model and diagnosis. With labeling and diagnosis, basically. I don't like to box people into anything. It's not, it's just understanding a human being. Like, I can talk about depression. I don't know if I'm going to talk about depression. Depression is symptomology. It's like thinking about like uh, someone who abuses alcohol, like just to call them an addict to, is to ignore the fact that the drinking is actually the solution for them. The problem is the problem. Whatever the problem is that they're trying to. So his problem, I don't know if it's. He's saying now it's fine. Cool. Solution, <laughs> 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 Sorry. Yeah, he's using this this person yeah. using drinking as a solution. He needs a better solution. Exactly. But that's a solution right now. So if you take away alcohol from him, that becomes a real problem. His problem is pain. Let's say his problem is that he hates himself. His problem is self confidence. His problem that he's sleeping and he can't relate to all. Of and uh, it's very hard. Yeah. And all of us have this a little bit. That's why I said it's human. Dr. Nasser, what do you think of this chapter? Sorry, I just wanted to hear what he said. What he has to say. Yeah, am I still there? Yes, you're still here. Yeah, I had a drink before and I just passed out for a little while. So. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, Doc. <laughs> Sorry, no. <laughs> no worries. No, you didn't miss too much. Yeah, sorry. What was, um, Sarah, are you going to say something? I cut no, you off. I'm sorry. I forgot. Okay. I added too many drinks. One diagnosis is tonight. Yeah. And he'll medicate. Yeah, yeah. He'll medicate <laughs> He'll put Kohelet on the next one. I'll give him some uh, antipsychotics. And, uh, I'll tell you, he doesn't I'm need psychedelics. Yeah, he's done too many. Yeah, he's done too many. Exactly. All right. This is what will happen. It could happen. Also, someone who delves too deep in yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. Really, thank you. The worst thing to tell this guy is he's thinking too much because I don't think too much about that. <laughs> so teach him mindfulness and kindness, self-compassion, and appreciation. He, I mean, he knows the answer. He just can't follow it. He keeps saying he knows what the answer is. He keeps saying he can't follow his own advice. Right. right. We, he's giving you the answer, but he can't follow. Yeah, yeah. He's actually right there. In a, it's called, there's a whole cool thing you can look at motivate um, stages of change. He's already um, 